Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, in collaboration with Proximity Media, we present to you an opportunity to gain proximity to others. Our beauty resides in our experiences that make each of us unique. Our purpose is clear. When we make time and sit down with one another, we learn that we have way more in common. Let's see the people in the world around us differently because our stories are bigger than you think. I think that's profound. You, you've traveled so many different places and it's interesting to me that you have wonderful experiences despite in many of those places you going there and becoming a minority yourself, right? Yeah. So what are some of the things you think we can take from those places that you've been at? You mentioned Chile. I think that's a great example. I, I firmly believe we need to make a number of changes to the Constitution. That's why we had amendments and mm -hmm. we haven't made one in a while and we need to make a few, by the way. But <laughs> what are some other things that you've seen at other places that you think can help this Help, help us as a nation, like, and not just us, because I do believe we could be a beacon for other countries, but not right now. Like, we still got to, my mom has a saying, um, uh, make sure your own house is in order before you try to right. talk about somebody else's Yeah, house. for sure. <laughs> yeah, so we have to get our own house in order. But what do you yeah. think are some things we can do to, like, yeah. get better? When I look, yeah, when I look at other other places, and, you know, some people would say, well, but Robin, the things that you're about to say are exactly the things that you know, make America what it is, you know, the hard work and the individualism and all this other kind of stuff. Um, but when I live in other countries, I go, wow, it's really nice to live here and it's not as stressful. <laughs> and when I look, I go, okay, so why does this not feel so stressful? And some places, you know, every place has its thing. Sure. Uh, sure. There, there's no perfect nirvana. Everybody's got their issues. And and, you know, I took a class one time and it says great wealth requires great poverty. And, you know, every society in the world's got inequalities and issues that they need to address. Right. Um, so I'm not saying other places are perfect. But when I go, why is this so much less stressful? A lot of it had to do with stuff like there is a social safety net mm. <laughs> and people have health care. And if you lose your job, you're not going to be, um, you know, desperate, right? Mm -hmm. And I sit there and I go, and what does that do? It it creates this thing of like, we're going to all be okay. Whereas without having those kinds of safety nets, I feel like you get a little bit of people knocking each other down. Yeah. Right? Okay. And so that competitive, I'm going to cancel you, I'm going to smash you, I'm going to crush you, comes a little bit because... If I don't, then I might be there's no net. Yeah. I don't have a net. Yeah. And so first I look at that and I go, huh, that's really interesting. Then second, I looked at a lot of those different places and childcare is much more accessible and much more affordable in those places. And I go, well, that's part of it too. And um, again, as a woman who doesn't have children, but whose friends have lots of kids and are trying to figure this out all the time. Sure. Um, that seems pretty fundamental too. And so figuring out how do we get like better access to childcare that's affordable for more people, because sure. there's a ton of stress there as well. Yeah. Um, and then I think there is a bit about like minimum wages in different parts of the country and things like that, that, that need to be addressed, that people get living wages, um, for the work that they do. And so just fundamentally, when I look at other countries, You've got kind of that net, which then takes a lot of the stress out that when you wander around the U.S., 
and especially in a year of COVID, you know, you can feel that stress. I'm on the board of the food bank here in Atlanta and the distribution of food at the food bank has gone up 35% this year. Wow. A lot of it was kids because a lot of kids were getting food at school. So a lot of the hunger is coming from kids. And if you think about people who are trying to figure out work, trying to figure out how to feed their kids, a lot of it is more middle class than lower socioeconomic levels because the the way COVID has hit middle class jobs and stuff too. And so, you know, I just look at it and I go, there's just stress everywhere. So if we could start prioritizing some of those things, a lot of people say, well, we don't want to do that because, you know, the individualism in the U.S. (laughs) and the need to support yourself and, you know, don't be lazy. But I always sit there and I go, you know, I'm not sure how many people realize they didn't do it all by themselves. They didn't pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Yeah. There were actually a lot of other things in place, like education, like infrastructure, yeah. like the internet, yeah. like access to loans, like a lot of other things that happened too to help people get there. And so I, I just think that that's like something that I've seen in other countries, sort of just that mindset of, you know, you're not really in this all by yourself. Like we're kind of in this together. Yeah. And so let's make this work for for more people. Um, I think also sort of the joy of life, if you remember that we're not here just to work and just to make money and just to accomplish. Yeah. But, you know, hopefully some joy is involved in this somewhere along the way. When I look at other cultures, um, you know, they don't answer emails on the weekend. <laughs> they don't, they're not like attached to this all the time. Yeah. It does kind of get turned off at seven o'clock at night and on weekends. Um, they do take time for family and dinners and gatherings in a way that's so much more intentional, expected and multi-generational. Yeah. And I think that that's lovely too, because I think that's where a lot of joy can come from. Yeah, it's you just touched on my future sister-in-law is Greek and she talked about this. She said Americans live to work. Yeah. And she said she comes from a society where they work to live. Yeah, totally. Right. So totally. I, I think you you touched on a, yeah. a few things. I think the other thing you talked about is like how we pulled our how people um, proclaim that they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. I think it takes a certain level of arrogance to believe that, that you made it by yourself. There's a a show you might enjoy, Reese Witherspoon, Carrie Washington. I don't know the name of the show. I was watching it with my wife, but she, uh, there's a great scene. They have a number of great scenes, Mm -hmm. but there's this one really, really intense scene where Reese and Carrie are like really into it. (laughs) And I love the passion in both of them. They're amazing actresses. But Carrie says to, uh, well, uh, Reese says to Carrie essentially, I've had to make it on my own. I've had to make the right decisions. I had to climb myself up. I had to find a good man. I had to become a good wife, raise these kids. My husband didn't even appreciate me. Like I'm making these decisions. And Carrie Washington says, you didn't make good choices. You had good choices. Oh, wow. And that stung me for a little bit because I didn't realize she has a good point. There's some people out here who all of their options are good. Yeah. Yeah. And even if they chose to be the painter or the artist or the chef or the executive or whatever, or if they chose to be single or be married or whatever, mm-hmm. or travel or don't travel because of where they were born into or the parents that they have or the sacrifices of the ancestors before them, 
or other decisions by their ancestors before yeah. them. They've had good choices. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, it's, it's mind boggling to me, like that people can't recognize that. Yeah. Um, I think the same thing applies yeah. to men in this country. Uh, even as a, uh, a black man, I feel like uh, there's luxuries I'm afforded as a man um, that I did not recognize until talking to some of my uh, female colleagues, like yeah. uh, how many times they're interrupted or you have an amazing story uh, of, that you, you shared around just like how, you know, uh, business outings and uh, what they think is okay as a business outing and what places are okay to take other people in business. I'm a firm believer we need more women leadership. Um, and I, I would, I, I know your personality, so I know you're not inclined to run for office. Um, <laughs> hence the laugh, right? But I, I do believe public service should be more like jury duty in the sense mm -hmm. that we shouldn't have opportunists running, that we should have people who are required to be there. And so they decide they're going to make the most of while they're there as opposed mm -hmm. to try to game the system and take advantage yeah. of the system. How do we get more women leaders? Yeah. And more importantly, as you answer that question, what would you tell me as a man that I can do to create an environment where more women feel comfortable yep. being women leaders? Because I think that we've, we've told women to work on themselves for so long that all the people that have the problems, for the most part, I'm not, I hate to <laughs> stereotype or generalize people, but it's, it's, it's men, right? Like, so like, how do, how do we get more women leaders? And then like, how can men become better advocates, better trailblazers, or um, just better allies for women to be leaders and be them full selves in, as in leaders, yeah. in leadership. So yeah. Yeah. Um, put a little star. Cause we got to go back to where you fell onto the planet. After this, because okay. I don't want to forget that part. Okay. Um, so, so how do we get more women leaders and what can, what can men do for it? Okay. So um, I think we have a lot of really competent, capable women. I agree. I think that when we think about what a leadership quality is, it comes with a bit of like, bravado and selfishness okay quite frankly okay that i think a lot of those capable and competent women are turned off by mm. right and so and so when i look at it you know i kind of sit back and i look and i go let's take running for office i mean i actually think that would be awesome except the running for office part i would love to be in a position <laughs> to influence stuff and to yeah. help shape and to help redesign yeah. But the process of going through it and then the people that you have to deal with along the way when you're there looks horrible, right? Yeah. Like the work sounds fun, but the process of it sounds really awful because you've got to be involved with all these people who are, you know, self-serving and try, trying to perpetuate their time there as opposed to like getting something done. Yeah. So when I think about it sort of in politics and even in business, there's this like other game that's just going on so much about perpetuation, about gaining power, about maintain, maintaining your status and your power yeah. that I think actually turns off a lot of women leaders. Now, some women leaders really want to do that. And there yeah. are, you know, some of them that you see. Um, and, um, but I think a lot of capable, competent people are like, I can do other interesting, important things in other parts of my life or start my own business or do something else. Yeah to express that capability and competence and leadership 
instead of getting pulled into all of that other stuff that just doesn't really seem appealing. Right. So I think part of it is that. And so then that's a culture question, right. Of how do you, how do you create organizations or, you know, sort of environments where um, people can express that capability and competence, but without all of that other sort of political stuff coming into play. Um, So, so, Making making organizations more attractive <laughs> for women who want to participate in that. And I remember when I worked sure. in the consumer goods company I worked with, um, it was really interesting because they they did all these studies and all this data to say, you know, they had um, an issue with women going from manager to director. Like the percentage of women in the manager level was great, and then it just fell off. And there were like very few women directors. And they went through and they looked at the job descriptions and, you know, how many things they said were required and men who had two things would apply and women who had eight out of 10 would would apply. Yeah. Like, you know, like wouldn't, wouldn't apply. And so like, okay, well, what are we doing here? And just in our selection process and what are we signaling about letting the guy who has two qualifications interview, just like the woman who has 10 qualifications, you know, what kind of signals are we sending there about, is this about perceived potential? Is it about competence? Is it about, you know, politics and who who your friend is on the weekend or, you know, so they went through this whole process of that and they've done a really amazing job of like getting more women in different levels of the organization because they decided they wanted to do that work and they decided that they wanted to find out what were those barriers that were getting in the way. And a lot of it was that I'm capable, I'm competent, but that doesn't look very fun. (laughs) I'm not sure I want to go to that level, to that leadership level where I'm going to end up spending all my time politicking, right? So how do you pull that out? Bigger Than You Think is a Proximity Media production. Our director and executive producer is Garrett Drake. Cover art by the wonderful Weston Smith and music is scored and performed by Mo Music. 